0: Listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. Before we take a look at our scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And on our website, you'll find links to our bookstore, links to both of our podcasts, our blog, and a link where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a newsletter with a word of encouragement and some content to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to receive that each week in your inbox, it's free. All you need to do is just sign up on the website, desirejesus.com. You'll see the newsletter tab. Just click it, and we'll be happy to add you to the email list. Now let's take a look at today's scripture. So, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about this idea of what it means to be healthy. And we talked about the idea of what it means to be spiritually healthy. And then last week, we were talking about some surprising facets of physical health that Scripture brings up. And today, we're talking about this idea of emotional health. And as you can see on the screen behind me, we're asking the question, is my emotional health one of God's primary concerns? Now, I don't know. If emotional health is something that we often think about when we're thinking about the idea of health, I think typically when we're talking about health, usually, when that term is being used, we're usually talking about it in the sense of physical health. Uh, but when you look at what Scripture reveals to us about the ways in which Christ transforms us, He makes us healthy in all kinds of ways, and emotionally healthy uh, is one of the ways that the Lord can fashion our hearts to be. But it's interesting when you think about emotions, because emotions are something that they're interesting, and they're kind of fascinating to consider, but they're also puzzling. Wouldn't you say one of the more confusing aspects about our own self-analysis, and when we're trying to analyze what's going on in the lives of those that we care about, comes down to emotions. One of the more complicated things to figure out tends to be emotions. Our own emotions puzzle us, the, the emotions of those that we love and care about. They, it puzzles us. By design, we have been created in the image of God. Scripture's very clear about that. And the Lord's fashioned us in such a way as to give us emotions and the capacity to, to feel empathy, to feel sympathy. These are things that are actually a reflection of the fact that we have been created in the image of God. Now, admittedly, I have sometimes wondered if life would be a lot Simpler if we weren't as emotional as we are. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever kind of wished that you could turn off the switch of being able to feel. Do you ever have moments like that where you're like, you know, I, I wish I could just operate on pure logic in this moment and not have the capacity to feel because sometimes feeling hurts. But the capacity for emotional expression is truly a gift from God, and it's actually something that can reflect the Lord's compassionate heart. So, I just want you to think about this for a quick second before we look at our opening scripture this morning. How emotionally expressive would you say you are? So just in general, you know, how emotionally expressive do you think you are? And, you know, in relation to that, would you like to be more emotionally expressive? or would you be like to be less emotionally expressive um you know i'm 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 even seeing and hearing some reaction to that thought right because that's a, that's kind of a tricky question to ask in fact um several years ago i was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine and um he he's a friend who does not like to express his emotions specifically does not like chooses as best as he can not to express his emotions, unless he's forced to do so. And in the midst of talking about this and maybe, you know, a little bit trying to discern why this was the case, it started to become clear to me that my good friend was emotionally damaged under his own admission. He felt he was emotionally damaged specifically because of the harsh environment that he had spent a lot of time growing up in. He got to a point where he considered emotions dangerous to convey. And the type of thing that he thought, you know, it is safer, it is best if I avoid them. Therefore, I will do my best to be as stoic as I can be or as serious as I can be. And I will not drift into an emotional direction because I view emotions as being dangerous. But the funny thing about that or the ironic thing is as much as you try and stifle that, they're gonna, it's gonna come out somewhere. It just not, may not come out where you want it to come out. So again, what about us? Do we consider ourselves emotionally healthy? Would we also say, you know what, in some respects I consider myself emotionally damaged? Do you think the Lord wants us to express our emotions? Do you think the Lord wants us to keep our emotions under wraps? Uh, how can emotion actually be a reflection of the heart of Christ? I think some of the scriptures that we're looking at today invite us to wrestle with some of these things. And one of the scriptures that I want us to look at today is from John chapter 11. Now, this is the primary Scripture we're going to start with, uh, although we're going to look at several others as well. But in John chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 28 down to verse uh, 37. So John 11, starting with verse 28. And I want to show us, as we start off looking at this this morning, the fact that Jesus expressed emotion in a healthy manner. He expressed emotion in a healthy manner. Again, John 11, starting with verse 28. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then look at verse 35, this super short two-word verse. But in verse 35 it simply says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to look at your word this morning, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to spend time together worshiping you and even wrestling with this idea of what it looks like to be emotionally healthy and wrestling with the question whether or not our, our emotional health is one of your primary concerns. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at this scripture and some of the, the companion scriptures to it, that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to understand your will, and your desire, and your goals and ambitions for our lives as we walk with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just read John 11, verse 28, down to verse 37. And one of the things that you could see in that portion of Scripture is that Jesus for sure expresses emotion. But he expresses emotion in a very healthy manner. Now I have to say this, uh, the more I read the Gospels... And I don't know why I've gotten into this habit, but I've noticed this pattern, and it, I don't even know if it's so much a conscious pattern as it is an unconscious pattern, but I've noticed that during the summer months, and I've done this for years, I like to spend time reading the Gospels. Now, I try and read through the whole Council of Scripture, but I've noticed that for whatever reason, during the summer months, I like to read through the Gospels. And so, here in the Gospel of John, uh, you see Jesus expressing emotion, and I have to admit, the more I read the Gospels, the more likable Jesus becomes to me. More and more and more as my, my walk with Him grows over the course of my life. The more I have the opportunity to, to read the Gospels and meditate on the concepts of the Gospels. And, and you know, I, I find Jesus likable already, but it just, He, He just becomes more and more and more likable to me through reading these portions of Scriptures. And throughout the Gospels, you have Jesus giving us glimpses of various things. He shows us what it looks like to love. He shows us what it looks like to lead. He shows us what it looks like to teach. He shows us what it looks like to celebrate. He also shows us what it looks like to show compassion. And here in John chapter 11, Jesus also shows us how to grieve. He demonstrates how to grieve. We see this in this portion of Scripture. And I think it would be hard to read this account from the Gospel of John without feeling some sense of of emotion. When you read about these things taking place, it evokes an emotional response from us. What kind of emotions do you tend to experience, particularly when someone you love passes away? I was just reading online this morning that somebody that I know, uh, at age 68, she passed away just the other day. She passed away on Friday. I didn't hear about it till this morning. What kind of emotions do you you experience when someone you love passes away. I remember when I was in eighth grade, do you ever keep a journal at any season of your life? I try to actually as an adult, but it tends to be very intermittent. So sometimes when major things come up, I'll just kind of journal my thoughts about them, but it's, it's not very consistent. But when I was in eighth grade, I made a decision that I was going to keep a journal for that whole year, for that whole school year in particular. And so I did, and what I would do is at the end of most evenings, I would sit down, and I would just write out a recap of what took place during the day. And it's kind of interesting to go back. I used to give myself advice, like for future me, so I would advise myself on, hey, when you're a parent, do this and don't do that. There's all sorts of excellent counsel in my eighth grade journal, right? But one of the journal entries that I'll never forget is a journal entry I wrote the night my grandfather passed away and i i don't remember all the details of what i wrote down although i can find it and look but what i remember most about that day's journal entry is that when i was finished writing it the ink was smearing and the reason the ink was smearing is because the whole time i was writing i was writing through tears and the tears were dripping on the page and i think i might have been using you know like a felt tip pen or something like that because it was making the ink run on the page and I remember looking at it afterward and thinking to myself well you know I guess I'll remember what I was doing when I go back and reread this journal entry because the ink smeared. And when you look at this portion of Scripture here you have John's Gospel telling us about some of Jesus' close friends during the course of his earthly ministry. And it tells us here, uh, you, you see this here, you see this other places in the Gospel as well, but it appears that he had a strong friendship with three siblings Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were apparently very close friends during this, this portion of time of Christ's earthly ministry. And the Scripture tells us, when you look earlier in John chapter 11, it tells us that Lazarus became ill. And when he became ill, uh, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent word of that illness to Jesus. And as they were sending word of that illness, they actually referred to, to Lazarus to Jesus as He whom you love. He whom you love. That's how they called him, or what they referred to him as. And so the Scripture tells us that Jesus went to the village of Bethany to be with these three siblings in the midst of all that was taking place here. But by the time he arrived, and this was all a setup, Jesus knew that this was going to be the case, obviously, and he even declared it before they got there to his disciples. But by the time he arrived, Lazarus had been dead and in a tomb for four days. So there was no ambiguity about the fact that Lazarus was dead. He was dead. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't, you know, it was clear. He was dead in a tomb for four days, and the scripture paints the picture of of grieving. It tells us effectively that there was a lot of grieving, and people all over the place came, and uh, they had come from from all around to try and help these grieving sisters. They wanted to console them as friends and as associates and maybe even as people that just had a lot of respect for Lazarus. And even though Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from death, the Scripture tells us that Jesus also grieved with them, that he wept with them. Doesn't that puzzle you a little bit when you read that portion of Scripture? Maybe if you're familiar with this portion of Scripture, um, you know does, does that, did that ever puzzle you that Jesus wept even though he knew what he was about to do that he wept with them why did he do that well when you look throughout scripture you could see this in multiple occasions you could see this throughout the old testament as the lord deals with the nation of israel you could see this throughout the new testament particularly as we're told how the holy spirit deals with us as the church scripture tells us that god grieves god grieves that's a puzzling thing, I think, in many respects for us, because don't we tend to think of God as being very serious and stoic sometimes? Even, uh, like, kind of unconsciously, right? We, we think, we, we think of God as just kind of being almost like flatlined on emotion, except when he sometimes gets mad, right? Isn't that, don't we kind of think about God that way? It's not accurate to think about God that way, but we sometimes do that. But when you look throughout the counsel of Scripture, Scripture actually tells us that God grieves. He grieves with compassion toward us. He grieves over the effects of our rebellion against Him. He grieves over the natural and supernatural consequences of our sin. Even though we brought those things upon ourselves, He still grieves when He sees us experience the consequences of our bad choices. And those of you that are parents can identify with this because have you not grieved with your children when you've watched them experience either the natural or the, the punitive consequences of their bad decisions? Have you not grieved with them, even if they're little? Doesn't your heart feel compassion for them when you see them deal with the effect or the consequences of bad decisions that they've made? And the Lord clearly grieves over the choices that we, His people, have made. And so in this portion of Scripture, we can see Jesus weeping because He loved this family. And He was grieved by their sorrow. Now, moments later, He raised Lazarus from death, which is very exciting to read about. And I'd encourage you to read later on in this portion of Scripture so that you get to see how the story uh, completes. But before there would be that celebration, Jesus mourned with those who mourned. He mourned with those who mourned. He grieved with those who grieved. This is a healthy expression of grief. And I wanted to start us off today by looking at that because I think that there's something that we can learn from that. We learn from Christ's actions. We learn from His example. We learn to mirror His heart. But Scripture tells us a bit more about emotional expression, about healthy emotions. And one of the things that you could see when you look through the council of Scripture is this. It isn't wise to deny yourself the freedom to express emotion. So just think about that for a second. It is not wise to deny yourself the freedom to express emotion. Let me read for us from Psalm chapter 3. I don't know if you're already familiar with this psalm or not. But in Psalm chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 it says this. "O Lord, so this is, this is David speaking now. And he says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Again, let me reread that sentence. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord. And He answered me from His holy hill. Now, when you take the risk to love somebody, you also take the risk to be hurt by them. You take the risk to love somebody, you take the risk that they might actually hurt you in return. I am rarely hurt by people I have no relationship with. But I'm frequently hurt by those that I've welcomed into my life. And if you take a look throughout the course of your life, at those who have either hurt you emotionally or maybe you could say even broken your heart, right? those that have broken your heart most severely, I think that you would probably have a list that includes family members and friends that you basically treated as close enough to be considered family. Those are the people you have allowed into your life. Those are the people that you've placed in close enough proximity to you that they actually have the capacity to break your heart. And then you read a psalm like we just read from Psalm chapter 3. And in Psalm chapter 3, we see a very emotionally expressive psalm. and the context of what was taking place here, you have an emotionally hurting father grieving over the rebellious deeds of his son, whom he loved. So you have David writing this psalm when he was actually fleeing from his son Absalom. Absalom was trying to overthrow David's leadership. Absalom apparently didn't even care if David was killed in the process. Absalom had soldiers aligned with him and people aligned with him, and he was trying to overthrow David as king and didn't really care what happened to David in the midst of all of this. But at the same time, you have David who still loves his son that's doing this. So Absalom is trying to overtake the kingdom, trying to effectually, you know, just eradicate David. But David still loves his son. He even, even attempts to protect his son's life in the midst of all of this, knowing that Absalom's men would not have hesitated uh, to kill him. And in the midst of this painful ordeal, as this is all taking place, you have David in verse 4 telling us that, that he cried out to the Lord... And the Lord answered him. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. So what he what he did not do, he did not deny himself the freedom to express emotion, and he felt particularly safe to express that emotion to God. That's what we see here in Psalm chapter 3. Now, have you ever observed, and I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, just by way of theory, but have you ever observed what happens to a person when they won't let themselves express emotion? you ever observed what starts to happen? In many respects, they could actually start to drive themselves crazy. You could drive yourself crazy if you will not allow yourself to express healthy emotion. It's like they begin to live in what I would refer to as like a pretend world. And instead of giving themselves the freedom uh, to utilize healthy emotional outlets, their grief starts to come out in some maladaptive ways. Now, sometimes that grief starts to look like anger. Sometimes it starts to look like fake happiness. you ever seen that? Where people won't allow themselves to grieve, and so the, <laughs> the way it comes out is fake happiness that starts to drive you crazy because in your mind you're like, that is so fake. That is so fake. Right now your fake happiness. Sometimes when people express fake happiness, doesn't it irritate you more than promote like happiness in your own life? You're like, you are faking, and it's hard to watch. Why don't you just allow yourself to mourn or to grieve or do what you need to do? Sometimes, this is another thing I've noticed, maybe you've noticed this as well, maybe you've even attempted this, I've certainly attempted this, but oftentimes when people are not allowing themselves to express emotion, it'll come out like extreme busyness or extreme lethargy. So to you know to either um, not have to think about what they're emotionally reacting to, they'll just busy themselves with a whole bunch of stuff, you know, pack the schedule as, as tight as you could pack it, or just retreat to a cave somewhere and just try and sleep off the depression. That's why it's not wise for us to deny ourselves the freedom to express emotion when it needs to be expressed. Several years ago, this actually happened... Um, a group of years ago, I'm not certain exactly how many it was. Some of you were here with me when I got this news. Uh, we were leading youth group here at the church one evening, and um, in the midst of all of that, uh, I got messi- I got a message that someone that I grew up with passed away. And unfortunately, what had happened uh, was he had taken his own life. And I found that out while I was here working at the church, and I was very sad uh, to discover this and so I you know as I gathered details I I found out when there was going to be a viewing and, and things of that nature and so even though it was several hours away I wanted to make sure to to be at the viewing and and when I went to the viewing I saw his family and I saw a group of people who were very much trying to hold everything together because you know There you are trying to greet a whole bunch of people, but at the same time you're grieving And when I walked up to my friend's dad And he and I made eye contact all pretense of holding it together finished in that moment, and my friend's dad hugged me, and he put his head on my shoulder, and he wept and he and for it felt like several minutes, I just hugged him and he just wept, and he wept, and he wept, big puddle of tears and, and everything on my shoulder afterward, and I just hugged him until he was able to just get that at least momentarily out of his system or get through that. You could tell he'd been holding on to that for a while, and then he finally just got to a spot where he just needed to let it go. And he needed to just grieve. It's healthy and it's wise to give ourselves that kind of permission. It's healthy and it's wise to give ourselves that kind of permission. It is not wise to deny yourself the freedom To express emotion. So you see David saying in Psalm 3 that, you know, that I cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard me. And that's something that I hope we take to heart as we look at a portion of scripture like that as well. But there's something else that I want to point out from God's Word today, and that's this. We need to balance our emotions with an accurate understanding of our nature. Now, a while back, we did a study of the book of Jeremiah. We spent a good portion of time looking through Jeremiah, going through most of the highlights, most of the chapters. And there's an interesting statement that's given to us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Let me read it for us. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Again, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who Can understand it. Now, because we struggle with sin, we're sometimes prone to go to extremes. So instead of expressing emotion in a balanced and in a healthy way, sometimes we're prone to to become over expressive or over reliant on our emotions. Sometimes we make the mistake of trusting our own emotions more than we actually trust the Word of God. Uh, that's a very easy mistake for us to make. I think we all probably know people who consistently get themselves in trouble because the decisions that they make in life are primarily guided by how they feel in any given moment. So in those moments, Scripture is not consulted, logic is not factored in, advice is not sought, and the end result ends up being either chaos or regret. Now, the moment you and I trusted in Jesus Christ, we were given a brand new nature. In that moment, the moment you trusted in Christ, you were given a brand new nature. It's a nature that doesn't sin. It's a nature that listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But for the time being, we also have our old nature. So if you're in Christ, you have a new nature, but you still have your old nature. And our old nature, what does it love to do? It loves to sin. It loves to rebel against the Lord. It loves to go its own way. Our old nature likes to ignore the voice of God. Our old nature is not healthy. Our old nature cannot be trusted. And we still have our old nature, and we also have our new nature. And here in the book of Jeremiah, we're reminded that the Lord, He blesses those who trust in Him. So when you read earlier in Jeremiah chapter 17, that's something that the Lord makes abundantly clear in that passage of the book of Jeremiah, that He blesses those who trust Him. But we're also taught here that those who trust their own hearts are setting themselves up for failure because our hearts apart from Christ are desperately sick. Our hearts apart from Christ easily deceive us. I was listening to the radio the other day. My family, um, it was my birthday the other day, and they decided to take me out. And we're a family that we create these traditions throughout the year. Once we discover that we like to do something, it becomes part of our yearly calendar. We have all sorts of things throughout the year that dot the year, That are traditions. And now our tradition for the past few years, it's a recent tradition, but I think we'll keep it for a while. So we go to this really nice miniature golf course that's out in Lansdale. Do you ever hear of Freddie Hill? Sounds like a friend of mine now, right? You know, Freddie Hill, it's called Freddie Hill Mini Golf or something like that. It's really fun. It's very nice. Uh I'd encourage you, take your families there. It's very nice. I believe it's Christian Run because when you go into the to the gift shop, they have a whole bunch of Christian well, not a whole bunch, but they have a display of Christian books for sale. Um, you could tell in the demeanor of the people running the place that you, it, it seems very clear that you're, you're dealing with believers as you, as you do that. And they have homemade ice cream. So they have a dairy right behind the mini golf course. They also have a driving range and they have homemade ice cream and milk that is pasteurized and produced right there on the property. And the ice cream is really, really good. It's very good. so I was in a very good mood as we were there golfing the other night. My family takes me there to golf on my birthday. So we were mini-golfing there. I got two holes in one. I'm not trying to brag, okay? I'm not trying to brag. But I just want to let you know that I began my 43rd year with two holes in one at the Freddie Hill Golf Course, and my family can confirm that. So apparently I'm improving with age because last year I got zero holes in one, all right? And one of the holes in one I got was on the very first Whole, so really got off to a good start. I approached that with confidence. All right, so my 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 mid forties. It's going to be a very confident season in my life. I could just sense it, right? And then afterward. We went, we got ice cream, delicious ice cream, and then we're driving home, and we're all in good spirits, and we're all joking with each other, and talking, and laughing, celebrating the two holes in one that dad got, at least I think that's what was going on in the hearts of my family, maybe it wasn't, I'm not certain, but it was a lot of fun, and I had the radio on, which I always have on when we're in the car together, and I like to sing, and uh, enjoy the time together, and invite my family to sing. And, um, sometimes they do and sometimes they stare. Um, but a song came on by Cheryl Crow. Do you know Cheryl Crow? All right. So you know Cheryl Crow. I like, I like some of her songs, but you know what song came on? I'm not going to sing the whole thing. All right. But I'll give you, I'll give you a taste here. If it makes you happy. What's the next line? It can't be that bad, right? Is that good counsel? If it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. And you're like, hmm. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Or how about this one? We, we heard this one uh, recently too. Classic late 80s rock set. So think back, put your, your cap on. Some of you are like, let's see, that's when I was being born. Classic late 80s rock set. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you could do. Remember that song, listen to your heart. Some of you are air singing into the microphone. I saw more than one person do that. You are caught. Um listen to your heart, there's nothing else you can do. So, all right. Cheryl Crow tells you if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Roxette tells you, listen to your heart, there's nothing else you can do. What do you think? Good counsel or very, very bad counsel, right? Is that not very bad advice? However, how many of us have taken that advice and lived to regret it? All of us, right? Every single one of us have taken those. If it makes you happy, go for it, right? I have made decisions in my life based on my happiness that ended up being terrible decisions. I have made decisions in my life where I listened to my heart when my heart was lying to me. And based on what we know about our old nature, when you look at a portion of Scripture like Jeremiah 17, verse 9, our emotions need to be balanced with an accurate understanding of our nature. Emotionally healthy Christians begin to do that. There's one other other thing I want to point out to us this morning. The final thing I want to share with us today is we talk about this idea of what it looks like to be emotionally healthy, and that's this. Emotional transparency. Now think about this if you're someone that does not enjoy being emotionally transparent. Let me give you an admonition or an encouragement to say this. Emotional transparency can be a very powerful tool in Christ's hands. Do you believe me as I'm saying that? Emotional transparency can be a very powerful tool in Christ's hands. I don't have a slide for this, so you're welcome to look in Scripture with me. Um, it's a little bit of a longer portion, but in Luke chapter 8, verses 34 to 39 say this. It says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus "...and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned." The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So among the people Jesus healed and helped, there were a few people, more than a few really, that were considered impossible cases. Uh, the crowds of observers would, would look at these people and say, this is an impossible person to help. This is somebody that nobody can help. And one of those seemingly impossible cases was a demon-possessed man who lived in the region of the Gerasenes. And here in Luke chapter 8, you have Luke writing about this particular man. When you look earlier in this chapter, it tells us that this man typically wore no clothing. And he would live among the tombs and when people would come up to this man this man was was so out of his mind they would try to they would try to bind this man with shackles and the scripture tells us that he was possessed by many demons and he would break those shackles he would break those chains and he would escape but when jesus sailed to the region jesus came up to that man and he cast those many demons out of him he cast the demons out of the man. And as word spread about what Jesus did, the Scripture tells us that people came to see him. And to their surprise, they, they see not only Jesus, but they also see this formerly demon-possessed man. He's now sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's fully clothed, and he's in his right mind. And keep in mind, some of these people had been part of the, the treacherous experience of trying to bind this man in the past. Trying to shackle this man in the past and seeing how fruitless it was. And now they're seeing this man wearing clothing, which wasn't a common thing for this guy. And he's in his right mind. He's not trying to hurt anyone and he's not screaming anything crazy. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So now seeing this man clearly healed, this now convinces the crowd that Jesus has great spiritual power. They're observing this transformation. They're seeing this. They're convinced Jesus has great spiritual power. But apparently that also terrifies the crowd. The crowd's terrified as much, if not more, than they were when they, when they used to see this the guy that Jesus healed acting crazy. Now they're terrified by Jesus demonstrating His divine power. So they actually ask Jesus to leave. It's kind of fascinating. It almost reminds me of... Uh, what the people of Israel used to do when Moses would come down from the mountain and his face was reflecting the glory of God. And what did people ask Moses to do? Cover that up. You're reflecting the glory of God. Cover that up. We can't look at that. Cover that up. And here, confronted with this divine power, con- confronted with God in the flesh right in front of them, they're like, this is amazing what you did. Please go away. It's amazing that this man's miraculously healed. Please leave us. That's a puzzling response, I guess, in some respects, and maybe not in others. I don't know. But here in this portion of Scripture, they want him to leave. They ask Jesus to leave. So Jesus acquiesces. Jesus honors their request. He leaves as they ask him to leave. But the man that's been healed, what does he want to do? Scripture makes it clear that that man wants to go with Jesus. He's now in his right mind. He's healed of that demonic possession. He's not crazy anymore. And he wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus looks at that man and he gives him a mission. And Jesus tells him, look, your job is not to come with me right now. Your job is to remain here in your home area. And your job is to testify to the goodness that you have been shown. Testify to the goodness of God at work in your life. And so the man listens, and we're told that the man then goes throughout the whole city He's unashamedly at that point telling others what Jesus had done for him. He goes person to person, group to group, people to people. I mean, word travels fast. In that region, they knew who this guy was, and he had a powerful testimony of what Christ had done in his life. And Christ said, I want you to stay here as basically my emissary. I want you to stay here as my ambassador. Represent me to these people. Tell them what's been done for you. So he goes throughout the whole city telling everybody what Jesus has done for him. Well, let's make this personal. What has Jesus done for us? What's He done for you? What's He done for me? What's Christ done for us? And how transparent are we willing to be to make His goodness and to make His kindness known? Are we transparent enough to let that be known in our life? I'm grateful to be able to tell you when I look back over the course of my life and when I could see the work that Christ is doing in my life right now, I'm grateful to be able to tell you that Christ has rescued me from my allegiance to my old idols of worldliness. Now, they still like to show up, but I know that Christ has secured my victory. He's given me His victory. He's given me hope beyond my circumstances. He's given me joy in the midst of my trials. He's given me comfort when I feel grief. He's given me company when I feel alone, and He's also gradually, and this was a gradual process throughout the course of my life, He's gradually given me confidence to make that openly known. That's been a gradual process because at one point in my life, I think I would have been a little bit more fearful of being labeled a fanatic. I don't know that I would have been uh, as desirous of being transparent about the work that Christ has done in my life. I don't know if I would have been as eager to be as vocal about it at a younger season of my life uh, just because of the emotional nature of what Christ has done or just because of the fear of being labeled as a fanatic. And when you look at at Luke chapter 8 here, you have a man who is healed in a very dramatic way. And he demonstrates how emotional transparency can be a very useful tool in Christ's hands as we testify, not just stoically, but emotionally, about what Christ has done in our lives. It can be a very powerful tool in His hands. I think we probably all agree, and this really isn't a matter of opinion, this is just kind of stated fact when you look historically, but few people have had the privilege to preach the gospel to as many people on the face of the earth as Billy Graham. Billy Graham has had the privilege to preach the gospel to so many people, and sometimes I wonder why so many people were willing to listen to him while he preached. Why so many presidents were willing to invite him into the White House to pray with them. Why so many people of different cultures and different languages and different backgrounds were willing to listen to, to Billy Graham when he would share about Jesus Christ and the necessity of having a relationship with Christ. And one of, the, one of my theories, one of the reasons why I think that's the case, a big part of what made Billy Graham credible to so many people, was his willingness to be emotionally transparent. Let me share with you one of my favorite quotes from Billy Graham. This is something Billy Graham said that I think is very useful and practical for us. He said, the Christian life is not a constant high. It's not a constant high. He said, I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, Oh God, forgive me or help me. Now you have somebody like Billy Graham openly admitting that these are areas that he's really wrestling with in his day-to-day life. And we would tend to look at the highlights of his life and say, Wow, the Lord used that man's life so powerfully and so wonderfully. But sometimes when I think about it, I think, well, I think part of the reason why the Lord made use of him and why he was such a credible witness for the power of Christ is because he was emotionally transparent. And emotional transparency, again, can be a very powerful tool in the hands of Christ. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Just as Jesus Christ can empower us to be spiritually healthy, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, and physically healthy in ways that would probably surprise us, he also makes it clear that He can that he can enable us to become truly emotionally healthy in Him. Our capacity for emotion demonstrates that we were created in His image. And He regularly makes use of our capacity for emotion to testify to His heart and to glorify His name. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege to be able to look at Your Word together this morning and to think about these things that You've revealed to us in it. To wrestle with the fact that our emotional health is clearly something that matters to You. Lord, during the course of our lives, we go through seasons where we have ups and seasons where we have down, uh, segments where we're discouraged or or feeling beaten up, or or alone, or or whatever it may be. Lord, these are things that we wrestle with. But at the same time, Lord, we, we recognize that You're present with us, and You do not abandon us. And we're grateful for the examples that You give to us in Scripture of Your heart, and also the examples that You give to us in Your Word, of those who understood that it was wise and safe and good counsel to cry out to You. We see that in Psalm 3 as we look at what David did, and we pray that by Your grace that that would be something that that You remind us to do in our own lives. So Lord, I don't know where we feel we may have been emotionally damaged. I don't know what we wrestle with. You know what's going on in our minds and in our hearts. You know when we're putting on a facade, uh, when we're trying to just look good for others, and when we're being real and when we're being genuine, when we're being authentic. But we're grateful, Lord, that we can drop the pretense, that we could drop the facade in regard to our walk with You and in regard to our relationship with You. That we do not have to pretend to always be at a high season of life. That we can openly admit that we wrestle with many things because ultimately when we're openly admitting these things, we're also testing, testifying to the fact that we need the help of Your Son, Jesus Christ, in our life. If we're somehow pretending that we are perfect in and of ourselves, that we have no issues and no needs and nothing that we're wrestling with. We're effectively saying that we have no need for the intervention of your Son in our life. And so, Lord, we pray that that would not be the message that we would inadvertently be communicating by by trying to stifle emotion, even though emotion is part of what reflects the fact that you have designed us, that you have created us in your image Lord, You've given us intellect, You've given us emotion, You've given us a will, and You enable us to walk with You in all sorts of contexts of life. And so, Lord, we wrestle with things, but our lives demonstrate our need for Your presence. So, Lord, thank You for these reminders from Your Word. We pray that You'd help us as we, as we just wrestle through all sorts of emotional responses And we pray that by your grace, that we would walk in emotional health, that we know that you have the power to facilitate, and that as we do so, that we would bring glory to your name. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to click the link to sign up right there on the front page of the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. This, this is my skyship, Dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to LifeAudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at Abide.com